This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bear Boat Alaska, a pure DIY hunting game with one of their 37-foot adventure yachts. You and five of your friends can hunt, fish, set crab pots, shrimp pots, and take DIY to the next level. Bear Boat Alaska is locally owned by a Ketchikan resident who lives here year-round. Call Larry at 907-617-4542 or go to bearboatalaska.com. That's B-A-R-E boatalaska.com and tell Larry you heard about it on this podcast. Uh, Nate Indicott, welcome to the podcast. What's going on, man? Yeah, just another day. It's a work day. We ended it and now I'm excited to talk to you. <laughs> what uh, What is your full-time job? Uh, you do YouTube uh, hunting videos on the side, but what's the main gig? Yeah, the main gig is I'm a civil engineer. I work at a water utility. So yeah, the daily job is mostly like project managing. I'll have some construction projects that I check in on, and I'll also prepare bid documents, solicit advertisements, get get the lowest bidder, and then walk it through construction. So, yeah. do you think having a full time forty hour a week job might even be more than that? Do you think that helps with the storytelling when uh, when you're hunting because there's that element of sacrifice that someone who's a professional hunter doesn't have to doesn't have or or have to deal with. Does it help? Um, I would say, uh, yeah, my job is to get it done. Right. And then, um, also having the project managing background, it's like all my ducks are in a row. Mm. You know, I've, I've got everything planned out to a T. Um, you recently, uh, were helping me with the Arizona hunt and that example, as I say it on film, I'm like, um, I'm not here to waste any time. I mean, that's, that's, time is of the essence, right? So I'm there to get it done. And sure, I'm sure it helps a little bit, but obviously I don't have unlimited time. Um, And then I'm taking vacation, leaving the family behind. I have a wife and three kids, soon to be four. So we're busy. We're really busy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it makes those moments that much more precious when there is a level of sacrifice. I've had some students ask me, you know, Mr. Lund, if you were a billionaire, you know, where would you fish? I'm like, I'd it'd be cool. I could go and I could fish and, and hunt anywhere, but there is that element of sacrifice where I have to put forth the, the work in and time's at a premium, money's at a premium. So it's, it makes a different, uh, it's a different dynamic, I think. And, it's, um, I think it resonates Absolutely. a little bit more with, with ordinary common people who are just going out there and getting it done. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So when you say, um, the efficiency is that not only with how you hunt, uh, or also the films, or uh, talk to me more about this this efficiency. Yeah, it's both. <laughs> um, yeah, with editing, uh, my style is basically like trim as much fat as possible, um, simplify. Because as my engineering background, it's that you don't want to you know put any redundancy in it or extras. Um, and so, yeah, that spills over in the editing side. Now, on the hunting side of things, I'm out there mostly to enjoy, right? Like, it's my, that's my place of solitude. I love being outside and just soaking it in. So, capturing it on film is now that I have this permanent documentation or memory that I can go back to and relive it because that's that's my place of joy. So, uh, it's not necessarily that I'm thinking to always be efficient, but in terms of, like, the success or the harvest, it's my first opportunity that I feel good about. Uh, mm. And you've seen some of my other films where I indicated I was trying to hold out. And that's that's kind of rare for me. I'm not one to hold out on anything. 
Um, I basically seize the opportunity and go for it. But in some cases, I want to feel very proud of my accomplishment or what I've done. So in those cases, I'm going to, I'm going to hold out or do something a little different. Yeah. I think sometimes when people hear hold out, they think, Oh, trophy hunter. But I think if you're getting, if, if you have a lot of opportunities, if you just take the first one, you don't really know what the hunt could have ended up being. And it's not that you're selective or picky, but it's just, you want to make the experience as, as long as possible with four tags up here in Southeast Alaska. If I just shot the first year that I see my, you know, it could be done in, in August. It's, it's nice to be able to save some tags. And, you know, if I don't end up getting it four, then that's fine. If I get two or three deer per year, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and holding out is, is nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. And an abundance of deer too would also make you feel like you could be more selective because on any given day, you might go out and be able to get a deer, um, you know, and, and the lower, uh, 48 and some of these other hunts, like say Arizona, um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's rare to come across an animal that's mature. So you, you definitely, in those cases, you take advantage of it. You don't, don't mess around. <laughs> you get, yeah. get it done. In that blacktail deer one that, um, the over the counter, uh, Oregon archery one, you were yeah. seeing so many bucks and in my, you know, Southeast Alaska, blacktail deer, Sitka blacktail. So they're substantially smaller. But man, yeah. you had some encounters right off the bat. Are you are you yeah. still hunting? Or are you are you walking slow? Like what is that, man? They're just they're just swarming you like mosquitoes. It was crazy <laughs> how much footage you had. Yeah, I have to start with saying that um, it looks like I see a lot of deer. I mean, of course, I'm not going to show the slow days where I saw a doe <laughs> and a fawn. Um, I want to show a film that captures people's attention and maintains the storyline. I tried my best to have it go, have that film uh, go sequentially. So like mm -hmm. day one, day two, day three, day four. And however, there was some times where I was sick for a week and I got out like on one evening. So I had like some evening footage that I spilt into one, like I basically combined two days. So in terms of the sequence of the film, it seemed like I hunted five days or six days, but I was out for nine. Mm -hmm. And so in nine days, that's what you're seeing in terms of uh, number of deer. And I'm covering three miles in the dark, six to eight to nine miles during the day, another three hour, three miles uh, in the dark to get home back to my truck. So also, it looks like I'm just walking up on deer constantly. You don't get the sense of like how long I've been uh, out there just breathing hard and thinking, you know, by myself. So yeah, I can, I can see where you might have that opinion, but I would argue that like, if, if everybody did what I did, then you'd see a lot of deer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it, the majority of people don't like hunt that method and that method is still hunting. And I would say just, it's, it's an active style of hunting. I'm not, I'm not still like the absence of movement. I'm very active. It's just such a counterintuitive way to refer to a hunting method that I just am constantly moving all day, but there are moments where I slow down. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So my method would be that once I start to see enough sign or tracks are fresh or there's sign on the ground, it's like, okay, I'm going to pump the brakes and I'm going to start to scan more. I'm going to use my binoculars more. But for the most part, I know where those deer like to live, especially during the rut. It's very easy to predict where I'll find them. And so I'm going to get to that spot in the dark. If it means I have to climb a few thousand feet vertical and, you know, 
sweat through all my clothes. That means I'm going to wear running clothes on the way. And I've done that countless times. I've even changed out from running shoes to hiking boots. Hmm. Um, running shoes aren't awesome when you're climbing up rocky, steep, nasty stuff, but it's still better than sweating in your boots. Cause, hmm. uh, yeah, I've got a path that I've done on a couple different hunts and it's like, I can't even come close to the time I used to hit. Uh, I used to time it. And so that would tell me how early I have to wake up, but anymore, it's like, <laughs> I'm just doing my best to get to the top of the mountain and um, in some of these spots. And yeah, then mm -hmm. I run into deer. So that's where you're seeing them. What's been maybe one or two or, or even three of the biggest bits of advice that you took or lessons that you've learned over time? Because sometimes people can be hunting for a long time, but they don't pick up a lot of stuff. And so you can have 10 years of experience, but that doesn't mean that you are very good at hunting. You know, there's, there's, I don't want to say cutting corners, but there's, if you're around certain people or mentors, you can learn things at a much faster pace. You can have experiences that are much more impressionable and they help uh, accelerate the learning process. So have there been one or two or, or three things that have really helped you key in on, on, uh, or become a better hunter? Yeah, absolutely. First thing I want to say is that if somebody was following me around that had no idea how to do this, they're going to pick up on those one to three things that are super important that I'm going to totally overlook. So when I answer this question, it's going to be from my point of view after only like growing up doing this, right? So my dad owns an archery shop. I was following him, him out in the woods since the day I could walk. Like, so it's going to be pretty tough to think about it from a perspective of uh, coming in new. So beyond that, uh, I would say it's that you have to trust in your own ability. So it's having confidence in yourself. It's that you could work really, really hard and it will pay off. And that's kind of the method that I, I would apply to this method of hunting. Because a lot of guys would limit themselves to a blind or a tree because a deer's walked by before on the camera. And so it's like, I'm an, I know that that's going to work eventually if I just sit there. Like for me, I, I know the same amount of confidence that if I put in the effort, if I'm out there all day, I'm believing in myself that I'm going to get it done. And that also means that you're not letting down your guard. So letting down your guard is that you're like, I haven't seen anything all day. I'm just going to blow out of here. And then that's when you see the biggest buck of the day. And it's, it's happened so many times. My, my internal voice is saying, don't let down your guard. Mm -hmm. Like while I'm out there, I'm like stay on because it's so hard to mentally stay focused. You get tired, fatigued. It's like running an ultra marathon. I've, you're, did you run last weekend? Did I, see um, that? I, I was, I was on sweeper duty. So, but I have run, I've run oh, a couple okay. of marathons and half marathons. Yeah. Yeah. So that like that cloudy, foggy end of day feeling after a, a run is like what you're feeling when you're out in the cold, you know, when you're hiking all day. So it's, it's hard to stay in it mentally. So I would say it's that you have to have confidence in yourself and stay in it mentally. So that's kind of the first, that's like the first thing I'd recommend to anybody. Mm -hmm. The other is that in the off season, you need to get out and feel comfortable in the woods. So a lot of guys too will limit themselves because they just don't feel comfortable going out in the dark somewhere they've never been. And that, in that case, you need to drive those roads when it's not bow season or hunting season, you need to drive, you need to hike in that area before it's hunting season for whatever reason, it could be a fishing trip, a scouting trip, a shed hunting trip, whatever it is, you need to make up an excuse, get out there with a the camera. You have to feel comfortable and, you know, hiking in those areas, especially if you're going to do it then in the dark and then come back out in the dark. So people limit themselves by saying, oh, we better get out of here. It's starting to get dark. Um, 
So that would be the other thing is feeling comfortable in where you're going. Mm -hmm. um, trying to think like third for the third bit of advice. Now that you've heard generally my advice here, is there something that you would help direct me here? And uh, is it still hunting related for advice or just blacktail hunting or? No, I think that those are, those are two great. They don't, doesn't have to be three. They can, you have two. Okay. two we'll two. stop there. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, with both of those, the seeing something when it's not in season is so important because you can look at something and you can e-scout and you can think, well, I want to get from here to here. But once you see it live, you might not be able to get from here to here quietly or, hey, I can go around this or I, I've seen it before and I know what to do. Or if the if this is the main corridor, the deer are going to be coming from here. So if I set up here rather than here and all those sort of things make such a such a huge difference. And then my biggest thing with the patience and staying focused is that I start to think about if I was somewhere else and I start to worry about I'm wasting time if I'm here, like this is good. I've sat here for a little bit, but it's actually a waste of time. I need to go somewhere else because if I go somewhere else, that's going to be the better spot. So that ends up being, it's not, sometimes I do get discouraged for sure, but then I second guess myself and I think, man, this would be a better spot. I need to get over there quick. Um, and that's, and then I, of course you go over there and then nothing happens. Or as soon as you get up to move somewhere else, then you catch something, um, and then it's, it blows out like, Oh, I, I should have just been quiet. I should have just been still, I should have been patient, but you know, some, some lessons you have to learn over and over and over again. Yep. So that's all very true. And, and again, it's like, there's no perfect way to do this stuff. It's that you're making the best decisions that you can in that moment based on those situations. And so if you're like struggling with the, should I be somewhere else that day? Well, it's, you know, well, if it is, then you'll go make that happen. Or if it isn't, you're just, you're going to do what's right for you. Um, when you say that, it makes me mostly think of the dilemma of the night before. The night before I've changed hunting spots like eight times and then come back to my plan A. It's crazy. Uh, that dilemma. I think a lot of hunters probably share that of like, well, it's just like a catch 22, you know, and you just, you play head games and then eventually you just end up doing what you're probably going to do in the first place. But yeah. that's what gets me the most is change of my mind the night before. Yeah. I think those other skills that you learn as a hunter too loom large in those moments, because if you, if you are kicked out of your, your plan A or something happens and you have to resort to something else, having those other mindsets so you can hunt your option C very well has become really important because there's no way that you're always going to be able to get your, your, um, your plan A. You could, you could think I'm going to go further or I'm going to do this, but the weather doesn't cooperate or there's someone else back there. A whole bunch of different things can happen. So if you have those other underlying base fundamental skills, then you can hunt your C or D or it doesn't even really matter. You still feel, feel like you're hunting rather than, you know, slumming it in, in some plan A sort of thing that you don't really want to be there. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint... 
You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/waypoint. Right. Very true. When it comes to filming then, that that complicates things. Do you do you have the camera out pretty much at all times? Are there, are there some deer that you, I mean, do you wait till you start to kind of see deer then film stuff or is it always at the ready? What, what, what's the filming element like? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not great at this. I, I do my best, but what I would say is that you have to be, um, the cameras have to be accessible. So I, when I do think that it's getting good and I'm seeing deer, I'll put a GoPro on my head. And it's floppy and awkward, but it just allows me to be hands-free. And I've even had a GoPro in my head and had an animal walk by and just shot it anyways <laughs> and didn't even mess with the camera because it's just, it's uh, it's an extra movement. Yeah. And if there was a button on my release that I could just hit and it turned on the camera, that would be even better. Because again, it's if it's not super accessible, it's not going to turn on, especially for me. Because mm-hmm. for me, it's always way more important to accomplish the main objective, which is being successful with my limited time, than to think, oh, I have to get this on camera. I don't have to get it on camera. I like to. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a matter of perspective there with how you operate your cameras. Now, I have a fanny pack that I rock around my waist, and uh, that's a like a like a stand sport, something like that, from Bymart. It was twelve bucks. It matches the same knot camo that I have on my pack, and. I have a small handy cam. It films 4K. It does a decent job, but that's super quick. So mm. uh, my hands are usually down by my waist anyways. So then I reach into this fanny and I'm not making hardly any movement or sound. And then just with a flip of the window on the side of the camera, those handy cams, it's immediately on. Mm. I hit record. So that's how I can, it's almost like you're shooting from the hip and I can get these deer on film very, very quickly. And that works for me. Uh, it's not, you know, professional quality videography but it gets the job done you could still tell the story and you get those critical moments lastly is that i have a dslr and only when the weather's nice i'll I'll actually pack it on a monopod through my like straps on my pack and that's where i can get the best video quality uh is through my dslr camera and the lenses that i could interchange on it and that's really what i like to see when i'm doing my video edits it just makes a world of difference to have good clear image with good lighting and that would really start to you know you'd start to think about the sensor size the iso i shoot manual so i'm always adjusting the settings it just you can't do that quickly but when i have time like if i can crouch down mess mess with my camera for a minute i can get awesome footage and and so i blend that when i do my editing and i try my best to correct the colors and uh because each camera will record a little different Mm -hmm. um but that's how I do it. So you got three cameras that uh, that you roll with for uh, three different purposes. It's good. The 
shooting manual is so difficult because you adjust it to one thing and then you kind of forget the the lighting changes something else changes and all of a sudden you're shooting and it's and it's totally different um if you were to recommend some tips as far as shooting video, what would you recommend um, for someone who's trying to do that as far as settings go? Or do you kind of get the confidence with filming first and some of the, you know, your basic um, factory settings before you go to manual? Or how would you adjust the, the film por- uh, or suggest uh, the film portion? Yeah, for, gosh, yeah. If you know how to run a camera and you're not afraid to potentially screw up, you know, manuals like the way to go because you can really dial in all the lighting and what's going on and, and then view that. And it, it does make a world of difference. And uh, some guys though, just roll with automatic settings and you can, you can get some great, the nicer cameras, the more money you pay, the better the automatic settings are. So if you can really afford a really high end camera, then, then the automatic settings are going to be in your favor mm-hmm. uh, some of the cheaper end cameras you can get away with a lot more with that camera by going to the manual so that's i've always had to go with more of the cost effective approach with my cameras and that's why i also use manual settings and you just need a little bit more time and mm-hmm. generally speaking it's like for that portion of the day your manual settings don't have to change a lot and there's a few settings like i run my uh, um, my aperture or your f-stop is as slow as possible and that allows for the most light in because when you're outside and you're in the, the dark timber uh you want the most light possible to enter that uh sensor so by running your aperture as low as possible it's going to get the most light in however your depth of field shrinks so now you have a window of, of focus that's very tight on that subject animal and you have to be really good at getting then your focus to work. So that's where automatic versus manual focus comes into play there. There's all these trade-offs. Mm-hmm. And I would say, generally speaking, if you could spend a lot of money on a camera, you're going to get really good auto settings. The lower that you spend in money or on your camera, the worse the autos are. And you might consider dabbling with your manual settings to really get a good image. And again, it's like we're talking about mirrorless DSLR cameras for that all the other cameras that are out there, like GoPros, everything's basically automatic. Mm-hmm. The only manual thing you could do is adjust like the size or the quality or time lapse versus, I mean, there's, there's nothing manual. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just to break that down. As you were becoming better at filming, did you do some filming in the off season where, you know, you don't have the same consequences where you just, you know, go out and film some cows or some birds or something like that, just to get used to adjusting the settings or playing with the lighting. So the first time you're trying to adjust these settings or doing manual shooting, it, it, there's not a, a deer hunt uh, at stake. Exactly. Uh, well, I started filming when I was just a little kid. My dad always gave me his hammer, uh, his hand-me-down camera. He always had a camera and he would just give me his old one. So I've been filming for a lot of years, but in 2012, in 2012, I bought my first uh, DSLR camera and I only used it for photography. So I would go out and play with all the manual settings. I'd go to national parks. I would run into some random place, run, literally running and get as far back in as I could. And there were some couple moments that were pretty neat like the quinault river and uh the olympic national park get back there six miles have this herd of elk run across the river one bull just has one antler and i'm sitting down in the dark timber snapping photos of this bull in the river they're all standing chest deep 
And I look back at it later and I'm like, oh my gosh, everything's so grainy and noisy. I can't hardly do anything with the photo. Mm. And uh, so that's kind of an example where I had to learn about what it means to have a grainy photo. And that experience taught me. So I did that more or less just a photography class for myself for four or five years before I finally started filming with the DSLR. So I had quite a bit of experience with it. And photography to videography is basically one-to-one. All the settings are the same. You just Mm -hmm. flip a mode from still to to record. There's a couple other lessons to be learned about frame rate and quality. So frame rate, it's very important when we're talking about slowing down your your film in order to slow-mo. There's some other things to consider there. But um, for the most part, you definitely want to practice on something else besides the hunt. Yeah, get that confidence. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, you get uh, yeah. get stressed out a little bit there. What uh, what's influenced you as far as films? Is there any particular show or um, sh- even shots? I there's a there's a meat eater episode where Ronello's up hunting doll sheep, and they, it's zoomed in on this doll sheep, and it's just a slow panning out, and it's it's, it's methodical and very slow, and you just yeah. get this this small. Uh, doll, well, it started off big, and then the uh, doll sheep is all of a sudden very, very small with the uh, enormity of the mountains. That, that shot kind of yeah. sticks with me. Just a just a beautiful shot. Are there shots or are there um, shows that that really influence you? Well, yes, I would say the first thing that comes to mind is the Western Hunter, Nate Simmons. Nate Simmons is a good friend of ours, and I I really like his work. His um, his cameraman Randy and him. They produce, I you know, some of the best, in my opinion, films in the hunting industry. And Nate has a really good voice, and he tells a really good story. I really appreciate his work, and I've been watching his shows more consistently than, say, anybody else that's out there producing films. I think that there's a lot of films out there, a lot of filmmakers, and a lot of people are doing good work. And I just typically just – I usually go to the same stuff – and it's hard for me to add, say, a new filmmaker or a new show into my, my like view, like viewership. <laughs> uh, so it seems like even though I've I've grown up in this hunting industry, and I've I've kind of feel like I've seen it all. Um, I still limit myself to only watching the few things that I really like. And gosh, when I was a kid, my dad would just play in his shop. Um, on repeat elk fever and it has Larry D Jones and his son and Dwight shoe and they're out calling elk with these old calls. And it's just super neat to watch them and how excited they got. So, I mean, these films were, uh, produced in the late nineties. I would have been probably 10 or 11 and, um, watching those in the bow rack over and over and over. It's just like, I knew what a hunt was like. I knew what it was like to film a hunt and, and really just a lot of time went by and I didn't watch anything in the outdoor industry. I don't watch YouTube hunting films. It's all very recent for me to even get on the YouTube th- scene. And since I have, which has been maybe three years, two years, uh, I, I've been watching Brian call and his gritty, um, uh, show. And then, Onyx Hunt, um, I mean, I watch a few of them, but not a lot. I actually started listening to a few more based on your uh, podcast. And um, 
Yeah, so somewhat limited. I, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I just feel like I have an old background of what it means to make a film. And then I've filmed my whole life and then recently have watched some of these others that do a good job, like Nate Simmons and Brian Paul. Mm-hmm. And so from that, I mean, I feel like it's enough inspiration to help me with my creativity making a film. Yeah, there's so much. There's so much to watch. You get there. There's some big names and people who have shows, but then there's also a lot of people who are just, you know, pretty small, but put out excellent product. It's just, there's an overwhelming amount, but I think as, as creatives, it's so important to kind of yeah. see what's out there so that you kind of know it doesn't really inform you a lot or not, not that you're trying to not steal or poach, but just to see what's out there and see creative ideas and share that. And whether you're, you're painting or whether you're writing or a filmmaker, you're influenced by things and you'd put your own spin on those sort of things. And having that stockpile of ideas is so huge and think about how this was done or how this could transfer to, to my type hunt, but it's great to, to pay homage to that and know who came before you and, and take some of those, take some of those risks with uh, a knowledge of how things might, uh, might turn out. No, oh, yeah, I agree. And, I recently was listening to a podcast where a guy said that he's just repurposing what other people have said. And so it's kind of one way to look at it is that there's like nothing new under the sun. Yeah. And so you're, you're really just uh, a conglomerate of all the different things that have happened in your life. And then you're just kind of regurgitating it. <laughs> um, I just hope to do it in a way that is uh, enjoyable for me. And somebody doesn't feel like it was a waste of time to watch uh, something that I produce um, other than they wanted to see the shot on film. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's that I want somebody to enjoy every aspect, not just that one little blip where the YouTube analytics has a spike. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, there's a, an important distinction between there's nothing new, but also your own individual story is completely unique. There is nothing that has the exact same. And so I, I get... I get caught up sometimes with thinking that I've been writing an outdoor column for 12 years and it's always the same stuff, man. This time of year it's steelhead. And then there's going to be the column about this and there's the, I, you know, I screwed this up and, but it's, it is unique and it, it is going to be slightly different yeah. and it's about resonating with someone else and telling your story That's true. there. And then I don't know if it's laziness or it's convenience, but there are some lines that are really easy that we can just apply in certain conditions and just, you know, regurgitate the exact same thing, which may or may not be totally true. It's just the most available. So trying to steer clear of yeah. some of those cliche sort of things to make it yours and make it mm. unique. And it's not just some overused shot thing or, or, or phrase. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with that. How much do you like sharing in your stories? Like how personal do you want to be? Because that's your uniqueness. That's that's what's going to make you stand out. But uh, how much are you concerned about sharing too much? Ah, gosh, yeah, good question. A lot comes to mind. Uh, when you say sharing too much and then also uniqueness and talking about yourself, um, I almost wanted to go on two different branches of a response. Uh, sharing too much, so... First thing that comes to mind with that part of the question is I don't want to share too much about where I'm actually going. Like (laughs) I want people to do this and I want to promote hunting. I want to promote conservation. I want to promote everything I do except for somebody parking in the same spot as me. Like 
that's the honesty there. So I have to get creative and blur backgrounds or do certain things to not let somebody just want to basically watch my film to find out where I'm hunting. So that's kind of the first part of that response. However, I, I want people to go hunting. I want people to bow hunt. I want people to enjoy it I, the same way that I've grown up doing it. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a tricky thing there. Um, and then in terms of how much I talk about, let's say the wildlife, uh, while I'm hunting or the strategy, those are things that are really easy for me to do. I, I love to talk about the, like what I'm seeing, my plan for the day. There's a mission and an objective, a goal. Uh, I want you to hear about the struggle. My favorite, my perfect film is yet to be even a thing. And it would be a black doe hunt where somebody could just really feel what it's like to go through a day, like maybe one day. So that film may not be successful in the end, and it would basically be a lot of heavy breathing. But how could you make that entertaining? I don't know. So mm -hmm. that's why I'd be like the perfect film to pull that off because I want somebody to also know that there is a great deal of sacrifice and effort that that is put in. And that's where I find my joy in the hunt is how much effort I put in and how much I was willing to risk, how much I put on the table, and then it all paid off. Like that to me is like an overwhelming feeling. So that's what I want to depict in a film. Now, doing that by yourself and just trying to get the shots you can, and hopefully depending on what I said while I was out there, actually help tell the story. You, I mean, sure, I'm out there talking, but I don't know how it's all going to come together in the end. I'm just assuming that I might get lucky and get one if I keep after this. So you kind of have to just go for it and wing it. And then you get enough footage and it's like, oh yeah, I, I could see where I could tell a story now that somebody might actually sit down and find it entertaining to watch or be inspired by it or find the common interest in that we all are hunting. We're all in unity with that aspect. And I mentioned to this, uh, to you not very long ago, but, um, I think the biggest thing I would hope that with my life and my hunting is that I could encourage people to unify as hunters and not critique others that hunt. Mm -hmm. Like we all have a different approach. There's rifle, there's muzzleloader, there's crossbow, there's archery. There's all these different methods. I mean, there's others out there slinging, um, <laughs> uh, basic, Oh, uh, what's his name? I'm forgetting, but, um, like basically a javelin into an animal, right? Like, like there's methods that are not super ethical, right? But my goal is not to critique the method or how people are hunting. It's that people been doing this at Laddle was one of the earliest like archery forms of archery is that they had this, um, uh, the natives, wherever, maybe in America, um, they would sling an arrow off of, you know, uh, like a lever arm, mm -hmm. which is basically just a rod. And they would sling this arrow up and then hit like a mammoth of some beast thing in the body. And they'd hit it enough times it would die. So, I mean, that's what was available and accessible and the best technology at the time. So it's like that to them was the most ethical form of hunting. <laughs> I mean, it got it done. And, and so I don't want to necessarily like critique. I have my own opinions and views, but I don't want to critique others in the hunting industry and how they do it. Because at the end of the day, they're hopefully achieving a very similar common goal, which is that hunting is a way of life and that's how people always then provided and nourished their bodies was that they hunted and and got this food so that that's kind of a big segue there but something i feel is super important i just really hope that people 
focus on like when they're commenting on social media, it's that, hey, this person's like a brother and if they hunt. So how would you talk to your brother? Hopefully it's good, but um, how would you talk to them? How would you comment to them? How would you encourage them to participate in a way that is both ethical and, you know, sound? So, um, okay, back to, uh, <laughs> back, back to the question, Rabbit. Um, no, yeah. that's, that's a great response. Uh, I think there's a big difference too, between just because I don't like something doesn't mean that it's wrong. Same thing with movie, with soup. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't mean that it's bad. Yeah. I, I happen to not like it, but that's not a big deal. And I think sometimes we attack each other. And I think also sometimes it doesn't even have to be criticism, but just like some feedback, some people will take as an attack. And if we think, yeah. Hey, this what are the potential consequences of this? You know, there, there could be, this could end up per, supplying some, some anti-hunting sort of feedback. So again, you do what you want. Your ethics are your ethics. They're your own to, to decide. But, you know, there are potential consequences for, for what we're doing here. I think being aware of that is, is something that's beneficial. Again, it's not something you should absolutely do this or you should absolutely have the same ethics that I do. But being naive to some of the consequences of some of the things that we do is is at our own peril because people who don't understand yeah. or don't have the whole picture are going to make narrow-minded decisions or, or narrowly focused decisions. And, and that a lot of times affects hunters uh, unfairly because it's that narrow narrow frame of mind or that that narrow vision and only one example that fits that. And so all hunters are the same thing. And that's a dangerous thing for, uh, for that because we're seeing, you know, non hunters are having a lot more control over hunting. It's not just a matter of people who are, I don't like hunt. I think you're a whole bunch of, you know, idiots, sociopath. Um, you know, there's more of an active effort to prevent people from being able to hunt. And so. Right. Consideration. We're is, seeing is that. Important. So like in Washington, they removed the spring bear hunt and that was a direct result of basically a feeling, a feeling that bear are not able to get on their feet after spring or after coming out of hibernation. So yeah, it's, it's a slippery slope and I really hope that people think about that and keep it in mind. And my goal is to encourage them to do it, you know, in a similar way, mm -hmm. keeping the ethics in mind. And so then going back to your question, now that I'm remembering it, um, it's, it's, it's always tough uh, for me to want to be the center of uh, attention. So I don't, I don't want to be the focus. I want to be like the guy next to the guy that's in this in focus and just like the supporter. That's, that's my, my personality. So then I'm making a film where I'm filming myself. So how's that going to play out? Right. Uh, it's usually means where I'm going to be talking, serving a purpose, <laughs> and then you're going to see all the stuff I'm talking about. And I want to obviously communicate a really good story and message and, and use, um, you know, my own skill set and what is unique about me to tell a good story and, and use purpose in that. So I always feel like in my films, if I don't leave like a text, you know, in the sky that has some meaningful something, I feel like I'm missing an opportunity because I really think that each thing we do, whether it be podcast or film, it's that you can leave your mark on anyone and, and leave a lasting impression. There was a time in my life where I was going through um, the Narrows, essentially, and, and uh, I, there was a friend that I met, and they, they offered a bunch of books 
that I could read. And I, I read all these books. It was in 2011-ish. And I read a stack of books that year. And coming out of it, I felt so renewed and refreshed. And it was like this new sense of purpose and direction in my life. And I listened to some podcasts at that time that also communicated a very similar message. Most of the podcasts were by the authors that wrote these books. And a lot of that, the message, that core message was, what do you tell yourself? What's the message? What's the story that you're telling yourself? And so I didn't tell you this um, in any of our prior discussions, but when I've heard, when I've um, listened to you uh, in your podcast or um, some of the things that you've talked about in, in storytelling, it reminded me a lot of um, a book that I read during that time. So during that 2011 timeframe, and it was a Donald Miller book, uh, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Yeah. And he talks a lot about living a good story. And, um, and even just that we remember half of our lives and not even a half of a half of our lives is what we remember. And he has a friend that like writes down every good memory and he's got like 500 pages of good memories. So there's something really powerful in a story. And, and also what we tell ourselves, we're living that out. That's our reality. So the voice in your head, that's like, you know, for me, Nathan, what are you doing out here hunting? Like you have wife and kids at home. You know, what are you doing? Are you trying to get this hunt done? Are you just selfishly enjoying it? Like, what's that message that's going on in your head at that time? Like you're going to live by that and die by that. So you have to have a good positive message going on in your head. It's, it's a recording like on a tape that's saying, no, we're out here to get it done. We're out here to enjoy this. This is your solitude. This is your peace. Like this is where, this is where, uh, you refresh your life and you go back and live stronger and help out, you know, your wife and kids and be a good role model. Like there's these messages that I play in my head to help me and the hunt. And also when I go back at, you know, at, at home. Yeah, that uh, Donald Miller book is a really good book. And as, as an English teacher, you know, I was analyzing protagonists and, you know, talking about story and talking about tragedy versus um, uh, comedies. And then I read that book. I was like, man, this is such an obvious, such a great way of putting it. And I was like, I, I felt ashamed almost that I didn't think of it before and kind of surprised I hadn't read a book that had that same sort of idea. But it's just so, so logical. It makes so much sense. Yeah, exactly. So. I definitely have that strong sense of purpose in the film editing. So that's that's basically the long-winded version of, <laughs> of how to respond to that. Yeah, and I think you you made the comment, and I've talked to a couple other people about this in the films, that it's the people who obviously you're comfortable enough to be in front of the camera and you want to tell stories with the film, but there's a, there's a certain something that comes with someone who – wants to tell a story rather than be in front of a camera. And it's, it's a very subtle sort of thing. And again, it doesn't mean just because I don't like, it doesn't mean that it's bad, but it does seem like there's a good amount of content out there where this is about me. This is about the antlers that are going on to my wall. This is about dopamine. Um, so again, like my preferred uh, films are the ones similar to yours and, and yours. It's that, this is an honest person. This is a real person who's who wants to tell the story, wants to share it, but you know, out of out of an honest glimpse into a life, rather than you know, how many likes can I get and, and the bravado or the attention, which uh, some people find it's difficult for some people to hide that. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. So I, go yeah, go ahead. 
yeah, for me, it's the filming is that I'm all, I'm already like the way I was raised is that we are already going to be filming this dad would film and bring home his footage and plug it into the TV. Uh, and we would watch his shaky footage of some elk that was running across the hillside. So hunting and filming are like one-to-one for me. They go together. And there was never, my dad never did that in order to put it on a social media platform, you know, so that people would like him more or something. It was that this is the way we hunt. We, we hunt this way so we could share it. And, and so that's so much of what's ingrained, rooted in who I am. And I would say that hopefully that's the perspective that I can impart to on, on those that want to get into it is that it's the why we do this. The why is that we're already, I, I would be filming if there was no such thing as a platform to share it, I would be doing this anyways. Well, I, cause I have, I, I used to burn all my hunts to DVD. And I would use like uh, the craziest music that's copyrighted. And, um, and I have so many DVDs like that. And I would hand them out to friends and um, just to be able to say, check this out. Like I was so excited to share. And, um, and it was very late. It was in 2020, I think 2020 or late 19 is when I made my first film and put it anywhere that could be viewed. And it was not very good. To be honest, uh, the film was pretty shaky and it was just a place for document management. Like to me, YouTube was a document management system that forever, hopefully forever, my, my film would be viewable by my kids. Uh, it could be viewable by my mom. Like that's why I made film number one. And then I think with everything I do in life, I want to, I don't want to just do it. I want to do it the best that I can on that day. I don't want to beat myself up for doing a bad job. It's just, that's the best I could do at that time. And I know I'm going to get better. And so I was a distance runner for a lot of years. And I think a lot of what shaped me and in that perspective is that every time I set foot on the course or the track or whatever, I was going to be a little bit faster. I knew it. I just knew it in my head that today I'm going to be run a little bit faster. And if I didn't, I better have a pretty good reason why. <laughs> uh, and sometimes I did, but, uh, I just had that perspective that self-improvement is so much more important in our human journey is that every day is a little bit is, is a new opportunity to do something a little better and to live life to the full. So, so that spills over into the editing and the hunting and the filming. It's definitely a challenge. It's very hard to capture it, but it's worth it. Mm -hmm. The getting stuff out there is such a difficult thing. And that's what keeps a lot of people from, publishing because it's just a matter of, well, it's not good enough yet. I want it to be perfect, which is a perfect alibi to never end up publishing anything because so it's not yeah. perfect yet. It's not perfect yet. And that's, I, I, I don't know if it was a podcast or listen to something or, or read something about perfectionism being a way that, or an excuse for to hide insecurity. And it's not really about it being perfect. It's just over, you know, way too much uh, insecurity perfection yeah. being a perfectionist or OCD definitely is, is a thing as well. But I think sometimes it's yeah. just that, that fear. So getting the stuff out there, when you do put something out there, you're not supposed to look at the comments and most of the comments on your films are, are, are very good. But do you ever look at some of the ones or that are like maybe the one or two stars and think, man, what did this person think? Or, or, or entertain uh, looking at the, at the comments and, and just reading. 
Uh, so real quick to clarify comments on my own films or comments on other people's films, uh, comments that people put on your films. So if you go to your YouTube and, you know, say yeah. your Idaho mule deer over the counter, like, and, and just read yeah. the comments. Yeah. I've read every comment that's <laughs> ever been posted on my YouTube. I think there's, there's, um, there's a few comments over time that have been, um, I don't like music. I like the sound of nature that sticks with me. Uh, there was a comment from a couple animal rights activists on my bear hunts that were like, we hate you. <laughs> uh, and I banned them yeah. like pretty much right away. Um, and then I'm trying to think through one of my friends told me he, he would like to see more of uh, the critters I'm filming. Mm. Um, Cause I do try to keep my films moving pretty quickly. And some of that's because I'm trying to get the animal that I'm filming. And so I, I don't have endless footage. I, I have enough and, and I try to use what's not shaky or blurry or the best, but yeah, thinking about just the comments, um, people have been very generous and I'm, I'm small. Like I, I don't have a ton of viewers or subscribers or whatever. Um, so I think I'm just getting comments from people that, uh, you know, that already basically would maybe like a hunting film. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's probably why I get more positive than negative. And if I do get a negative comment, a lot of times I want to understand like where the person's coming from. And for the most part, people are very receptive if you ask some questions back. So you can just ask like, Hey, I, I kind of see what you're saying here. Could you tell me why? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, sometimes people don't want their hunt on blast like they don't want their favorite spot or their like do the research but just don't tell other people about this hunt because i want it for myself and so those ones are hard and and basically i usually ask some clarifying questions and and say i agree with you and i just feel that communicating the message that we want to preserve and continue hunting as we know it now is a message that is more important to me than somebody else parking in my hunting spot. Cause I can already identify, I don't want somebody parking in my spot and I'm showing you where I hunt. It's just the trees and the mm -hmm. ground and the deer. Um, so yeah. One other comment came to mind when you said that, um, can't remember it right off right now, but yeah. Did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about that? No, that was like you said, there's, there's instructional feedback too, that you consider, but you can't do everything. And so there's some of that, some stylistic thing that someone recommends and you think, Oh, I considered that, but I chose to go with this. And that's more of a staying mm. true to what your vision of it, of it is or was. Yeah. Um, and then other things that's just, they didn't understand it. And other times they're just kind of being mean, but there's some good feedback to be had. And it can be difficult at times to not second guess yourself because if this person says this and this person sounds smart, think, man, maybe it would have been better if I did that. And that's not always the case. You know, maybe you staying true to yourself and not trying to, you know, please everybody, which you can't, you'd be proud of, of what you put out there, knowing that some people think, Oh, I, I like this shot or this shot, or maybe if you did this, or maybe if you did this, it's impossible to have your audience be everyone. It can be anyone, but it cannot be everyone. Yeah. Okay. So with that said, I completely agree. And music i think like yes i like when i think about the person that said um 
you know, music is so obnoxious and distracting. I just want to hear the natural sounds. It's like, well, yeah, but some clips, it's like the hum of a camera. It's like, (laughs) like if you turn it up. So it's like, you really don't want to hear that. You just didn't know. And so also music, I mean, humans over time, like that's a way to unite and connect. And maybe it's not your, maybe it's not music to your ears, but I do try to pick music that is, uh, communicating of what's going on. So if it's high intensity, it's a high intensity moment. If it's peaceful and mellow, it's because it's a peaceful and mellow moment. So I do try to pick uh, sound and music that complements what you're viewing. And and I spend a lot of time. Actually, the most time is that I have a database, different database. I listen to music and I try to find something that's representative. And so that's something I spend a lot of time on. And you would never know it. Hopefully music is just in the background and it doesn't distract. Mm-hmm. And there's so many things to be said about the sound and the music. And some people do very well at just the natural hum of a camera or always having a string of audio in the background. But when you're hunting by yourself, you know, like I'm not constantly talking to a camera and I don't want to be constantly talking to a camera. So it, it's just every style is a little different. And if you could have a dedicated cameraman, of course, that's going <laughs> to that's gonna help you help your chances a little bit better yeah. in getting really good audio. Would you ever want to get to that point where you have a person just following you around? I mean, if it's my good friend or my wife like, <laughs> or my kids, um, those all sound awesome. I don't mind filming for other people. I love it. Like I, I videoed my dad's sheep hunt this year and it was incredible. Like it's, it's one of my favorite memories uh, as just being a cameraman. And I was able to stand next to my dad. He drew a once in a lifetime tag in Oregon. It was a sheep tag. The odds were 0.028%. And he pulled it after 45 years of applying. And so I got to live his once in a lifetime hunt and first person and be there with the camera. So that was incredible. So do I want someone to follow me around with a camera? No, not really, unless they were a good friend. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be, I think I would just have to apologize the whole time. Like, sorry, I'm not very good. You know, this is, <laughs> you, should, you should, shouldn't have wasted your time on all this. You know, there's so many better hunters out there than me. I have a lot more experience fishing, uh, but even with like fly fishing, I think it'd totally be a, a, a disaster and I'd just, I'd be awkward. Yeah. Yep. No, that's probably, that's probably so, a good um, point too for me. Give people the the pitch. Tell us uh, what your latest uh, film is, where they can find it, what do you have coming out, Instagram, all that stuff. Yeah. So I talked about my dead sheep hunt, so I'll start with that. That sheep hunt is going to be premiered or showed in the Full Draw Film Tour. And their first film uh, tour event is in Boise on May 3rd, but they tour, you know, the United States. Uh, They have a ton of locations. So if you were to Google Full Draw Film Tour, and go to the tour, I think it's in the menu tab in the upper right-hand corner of the screen, they would have a drop-down and you could eventually navigate to where's the nearest location to you. So that's that would be a cool event to attend and you would get to see that hunt of my dad. And my dad's Wayne Endicott. He's the owner of the Borac. He's done it for over 30 years. He's a very passionate guy. I hope that everybody receives his hunt well. It's It's emotional and he didn't want me to show it. He's like, please don't show this. And I did anyways. So, um, because I get to edit yeah. and, uh, and he's definitely one that's like, he's animated. He likes to be a big storyteller, but he doesn't also 
love just being on camera either. Like mm -hmm. we, we kind of are similar in that way. Um, but I, I feel like I was able to capture some cool moments. So that one's a, just my favorite film. So it's coming out soon. Eventually it makes it to my YouTube in like a year from now. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can find my YouTube. It's my name, Nathan Endicott. You can find it that way on YouTube or Endicott films. And I've got 18 films soon to be 19, uh, working on a Arizona over the counter archery hunt. And it's got some cool footage. That one's going to come out in a couple weeks. Um, that's pretty much it. Cool. Thanks, man. I really appreciate yeah. you being on here. It's been great to get to know you the last couple of weeks and, uh, looking forward to the next, uh, next footage. Our next film. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. It was great to talk cool. to you. Take care, man. Thanks. You too.